Why don't you just join me in prayer here this morning? Father, we do need you every hour. All of us do. We are in such great need, whether it is the big needs, the the things that are going on in our lives, whether they're deep, deep, deep personal problems, whether it's people who are battling illnesses. We think of Sherry and, and Betty both going through treatments and whether it's babies that come early, as in the case of the creches, and, and their child coming a couple months early, and, or whether it's just finding the energy to get up tomorrow, or the endurance to make it through another day. God, we need you every hour. We are helpless, and our flesh in this world is not able to sustain. And so, God, we come to you dependent today. We come to you desiring to see you in your word and to get an anchor and a rock, something that we can hold on to, something that we can understand that brings us clarity. And so, Lord, in the midst of all that goes on in life, may we be able to see through the fog and, and see Christ this morning and rejoice and find clarity and certainty in that. And so, Lord, I commit our time to you study of your word and all that's going on, I pray, Lord, that it would just cause us to rejoice in the hope of you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I would ask you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Acts. We are studying the book of Acts. If this is your first Sunday here, we're going through Acts thought by thought. We are here in Acts chapter 10 this morning. And, uh, We are at the point in this passage where Peter is about ready to give a sermon to a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. This is the first moment that the new Christians have made their way out into the Gentile realm where they're dealing with people who aren't Jews or at least somewhat connected to Judaism. And and Peter had, we saw last week, a big deal where he had to overcome some, some prejudices to be able to share Christ. And now... He's at the moment in Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 34, where he's going to uh, begin his sermon. We're going to learn some things about this sermon. You know, this week, I, that I think will be helpful for us, because this week I heard something. I heard a pastor say this this week, and it caught my attention. He said that uh, in his church, he tries to teach his church, the, the, the people in the church, how to share the gospel in one word, in three words, and in 30 words. I thought that was interesting. Now, he didn't tell what those words were, but I just heard him say that he tries to do one, three, and 30. And I thought that's an interesting thing. You know, one word, three words, 30 words. I'm sure I can figure out what the one word is, right? It'd have to be Jesus, right? That, that, but anyways, I, I don't want to speculate. But, but I don't know, what, you know, as he's folding it out, and, and I always think about that a lot. What, you know, how would we do that? And then this, one of these mornings this week, I was taking a walk, and I was thinking about Peter's sermon and what's in here, and I realized... There are four words in this text that we could pull out that could help us understand the gospel. Because Peter's preaching the good news of Jesus to these Gentiles, and I thought, well, what better to, how better to learn what the good news is than to look at what Peter says? And he does say some really fascinating things here. And I realize that in this text, there are four words that give us the good news of the gospel. And I want us to look at this through the lens of those four words. 
is I want us to understand why the gospel is good news. And there's a lot of good news in here. You know, the word gospel itself, as you know, means good news. It's the idea that we're going to people and presenting to them something that is good, something that that is worth rejoicing, something that is worth abandoning your whole life for. What is it that's that good? Because the gospel touches so many areas of our life. It touches our relationship with God. It touches our relationship with the earth itself. It touches our relationship with each other. It even deals with your future. What's going to happen to you when you die? The gospel touches all of these areas. It's called good news because it's actually offering hope in every sphere of your life. In Peter's presentation of the gospel to Cornelius, we will see this gospel unplayed. And there are four words that are part of, that I've pulled out, that I think can help us understand the gospel. And they're great themes. I would call them like the four great themes of the gospel. And that's what your outline is today. You'll see it in your bulletin. The first one's probably the strange one for you, religion. We'll deal with that in a minute. Revelation, redemption, relationship. The gospel touches all of those areas. And if you could understand each major block, all four of those blocks, you have an understanding of why the gospel is good news. And so today we're going to unfold Peter's message. We're going to see this good news of the gospel. There are three things that I would like for it to do in your life that I've been praying for you this week. Number one, I hope that it causes us to celebrate. Hope it causes us to celebrate the gospel. This is good news. This is kind of one of those messages that we should be hooping and hollering and rejoicing and throwing chairs around and all kinds of crazy stuff. It should be causing us to do that. Um, Somebody's in the back of their mind thinking, I might throw a chair and see what he does. (laughs) Someone's thinking it. I will rejoice with you. Second thing that I hope that it does is that I hope that it clarifies. Oh, don't throw the chair at me, by the way. Okay. Um, Second thing is that I hope that it clarifies your understanding of the gospel. You know, sometimes in our world, we either make it way too complicated or we make it way too simple. And so I hope that we can kind of push through both of those extremes and see it in, in clarity. And third thing, then I hope it just gives you a way to communicate it, to speak about it, to understand it. So let's look here at the first one. The first piece, the first kind of pillar, good news of the gospel, deals with religion. Now we're going to look at a passage we looked a little bit at last week. We're kind of overlapping, but look at verse 34 of Acts 10. Peter is talking to Cornelius. He, he's standing in a room of this, with a bunch of Gentiles. He's telling these Gentiles, he's just told them, you know, uh, most Jews wouldn't be standing here at this moment, but I am. And here's the reason why, verse 34, he says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, Peter makes a very powerful point there. And the point is this. You Gentiles do not need to become Jews to be saved. You do not need to fall under line with all of the Jewish rituals. Because of what Jesus did, you have access to God right here, right now. Now, that is super good news. See, what 
the gospel, the good news of the gospel is this, and, and this is how I might put it in, in our vernacular today. I would say because Jesus died on the cross, he did away with the need for religion. He did away with it. Now, we're not talking about practices. We're not talking about throwing out the Lord's table. We're not talking about throwing out baptism. But what we're talking about is religion. What do I mean by religion? Let me define religion for you so you understand it. Religion is what came as a result of sin. If you study religion, okay, just go across the board, just like take 20 different religions that are out there. One thing they all have in common is every religion is about sin management. That's what religion is. Religion says you are dirty, you need to make yourself clean, we've created a ritual for you to take a five-mile walk down to a river, to dip yourself in a river seven times, come out of the river, kneel down, pray this prayer in this direction, and hence you are clean, right? That's what religion is. Religion is about sin management. You will go bring an offering to an idol. Why? Because you're trying to get the idol to bless you because you need this blessing. Why? Because you're a sinner. You can't live, right? All religions were designed for sin management. Now, I'm not endorsing all of these religions. I'm going to say they're all right. I'm just saying that that's what man does. He develops a religion. So when you are sharing the gospel with somebody, their first response is, what must I do, right? What must I do to make God happy? What must I do to, to make myself right with God? Peter, before he was in Christ, before he, Christ died and rose from the dead, would have said, you must become a Jew. You must get circumcised. You must follow the ritual customs. You must eat our dietary laws. You must fall under the sin management. Paul calls it a schoolmaster, the law. He says it's this thing that kind of holds you in check to keep sin from getting as bad as it could get. Jesus comes along, and what he does is he says, now listen, the only thing you can do is manage your sin. That's it. I can conquer it. I can bear the wrath. I can, be, I can take the punishment of God. I can walk in perfect obedience to the law in your place. I can take your punishment. I can then give you my righteousness. And now you're redeemed. You're accepted before God and now you can just go right to God and say, God, I need you. And God isn't saying, go get a dove and bring it to a priest. Let him kill it, and maybe I'll hear your prayer. All men, anywhere. The only caveat that Peter puts is a caveat of the heart. Right? That's the only caveat he puts. If you desire this, if you say, God, I want to be with you, I want to follow you, Okay, that's it. If out of the depths of your heart you're saying, God, I want to be all in, man. I want to be all in. He says, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ has blown religion up. It's gone now. We're not in the world of sin management. We are now in the world of access to God through Jesus Christ. That's probably a good spot for an amen, right? That's a good thing. That is good news. You see, here's what Christianity has done. It has done away with the need for religion. And so Peter says, you get access to God. I was talking to Jeff about this this week, Jeff Johnson, and he said this. He said, you know, 
He says, isn't this good news? You don't, we don't have to preach the gospel this way. We don't have to say, now listen, uh, you, you need to do what I do. Get in line behind me and follow my rituals and do what I do, and, and then God will accept you. Right? We're not calling people into this line to follow us. So you could be in this room here, and you could have done like 50,000 heinous things this week, just wretched, horrible things. And you could stand here and say, God would never love me. God would never accept me. I'm not as, my family isn't as good as this family over here. My life isn't as good as this over here. Do all the stuff we do when we evaluate everyone around us, right? And we always assume everyone's better than we are, and, and we condemn ourselves in that process. And then we might think, I'm a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, do you understand? I died for all those sins. So the good news is you don't have to clean yourself up to get to me. You come to me, and I'll clean you up. Just come. If in your heart you want to follow me, cry out. You have access to God. There's the good news, the first piece of the good news. It's good news because we don't need the religion. We don't need a gospel of sin management anymore. We are able to overcome sin through the blood and the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, second word now is the word revelation. Notice verse 36. He says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now I'm stopping mid-thought there, okay, because he's going to make a bigger point. But I want to just catch the first part of this point. He's talking to this Roman soldier who lives in Israel, so who's aware of, of the Jewish customs. He's aware of the Jewish religion. And he's aware of, of the setup. Peter's setting up a point. And he's going to tell us that Jesus Christ has revealed some things to us. And his point, is, his big point is going to be this, that Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, we have the revelation of two really powerful things. And the first thing that he's talking about is peace. He says, as it, so he's saying, let me kind of take 36 and demystify it. It'd be, Peter's saying this, God spoke to Israel about peace. God spoke to Israel about peace. And then he says, and that peace is in Jesus. And that peace is for the whole world. That's what verse 36 is actually saying. As for the word, he's saying, that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace that's come through Jesus Christ. And then that little comma, he's Lord of all. He for the whole world. Now, what's he saying there? The reason why I want to stop is because we will read that and we'll just kind of blow past that because it's a setup of a bigger point. But we're missing a key word in there, and the word that we can miss is the word peace. It's a very powerful word, and, and, and it's one that, that to both Peter and Cornelius it would be very intense. So I want you to see it here. In, in both Israel and in Rome, peace was a big word. Huge word. When a Jew greets you, what do they say? Anybody know? What's the word they say? Shalom. Can you figure out what shalom means, even if you don't know? Peace, right? It's peace. They greet people with peace. Pax Romana. How many have heard of that? Okay. What do you think that means? Last word's Rome. What do you think the first word is? Peace, right? Big words to them. Let me try to explain these words to you here so you'll understand Peter's setup. Peace is so huge to the Jews because it, it, it actually had about five different meanings to it. It was so rich. It had five different angles to it. First was like a relational angle. They would, they would greet people with peace, and it would mean this. You know, may God bless you. 
May God sustain you. May he give you health. May he actually grant to you peace. And so they would greet that. It was like a way of prayer. Peace. Paul would sometimes say, grace and peace. I want you to know the blessing of God. Peace was also a political term. They believed that one day when Christ, when the Messiah would rule on the throne, that the world would be governed by peace, the ending of war. It was also a personal term. They understood it to be this, that, that, that if you're walking in the center of God's will, your, your soul is stable. And it was a spiritual term. It means that you no longer are at war with God. There's no more war with God. God is your friend. So it was relational, political, personal, spiritual. And the whole idea behind it was that God says, I'm bringing all this peace. This kind of old truckload of peace is coming, and it's coming through the Messiah. Now the Romans, they had an idea of peace as well. To them, peace was order. It was order. Everything functioning the way it's supposed to function. That's why when rebellion would, would go up in the empire, they would just kill all the rebels. They just loved order. Now here's what Peter's saying. He's saying this peace that the Jews are looking for and this peace that you Romans are looking for, God spoke about it in Jesus. And it's for the whole world because he's Lord of all. Now, here's how I would kind of apply this to us right now. I would say this. I would say that in Jesus Christ, we have the revelation of peace. Now, the problem with our world, if I were going to apply this directly right now, if I were sharing the gospel with you, I'd be saying this, is that most of us, our instincts are to think that peace will come when my boss gets his act together, or when I can pay off my house, or when my spouse will do what I am asking them to do, and, they, you know, and I've asked them a hundred times, or when my children would, would quit fighting, or when, right, whatever the whens are, we think as soon as that happens, peace will come. As soon as we get to this spot in life, everything will be good. As soon as this disease is cured, everything will be fine, right? Isn't that what our flesh thinks? And so in your life, you go through life thinking, peace will come when the church gets this act together. Peace will come when my kids get their act together. Peace will come when my job gets their act Whatever it is, peace, peace will come. Peter's saying, peace comes in Jesus. That's it. The revelation of peace that God spoke of, the ending of the war, the ending of the conflict, the internal peace, the stability that you need, you will only find that in Christ. And he's Lord of all. The whole world will find it. You cannot find it outside of him. That's the good news of the gospel, which means what? It means that everything can be falling apart around you, and if you're assured in Christ, you can have peace, is what he's saying. If you're shored up in him, now, Peter is just unleashing this point slowly. So his first statement is just pretty clear, right? As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus the Messiah, he's Lord of all. He's revealed this, pre- this peace. This is good news. Now he's going to go on and develop that point in verse 37. Okay? Verse 37, he says this, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he sent about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now he said this peace was coming through the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. 
And then he says, you know what happened when Jesus came. What did he do? And he starts to unfold what he did. From the moment he was baptized by John, God made it clear that he was with him. He's referring to what happened when Jesus was baptized. What happened when Jesus was baptized? John put him in the water. He came out of the water, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God descends upon him. Everyone sees it. The only thing that they could say, it was so beautiful, it was like a dove flying. I actually Googled a dove, a dove flying. I didn't see it as being beautiful. It just looked like a bird flying. But anyways, <laughs> it's like, but somehow, there's something I'm missing in doves. Someone needs to enlighten me. But it, somehow, it's like a dove descended upon him. It wasn't that an actual dove descended upon him. Something came down over him when he came out of the water. And then God spoke from heaven saying, this is my son, this is the one I accept. That's what he's saying. So this voice came out. This is my son with whom I'm pleased, meaning I accept him. And then from that day on, he started conquering the spiritual world. He started healing people. He was showing his authority over the physical world and the spiritual world. You saw it. The peace came through him. You know what? Why? Because he didn't just reveal peace. He revealed the very power of God himself. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. You want to see who God is? You want to see what his heart is like? Look at Jesus. He had power. And he did notice he people who were oppressed by the devil and people who were sick. Two types of things. Authority over the physical world, authority over the spiritual world. He's God. He brought peace. He brought the kind of... And Peter, I think, is, is crafting this sermon to a Gentile because to a Gentile, the definition of peace is order. And Jesus came and brought order to all the chaos, to the physical chaos, to the spiritual chaos. Why? Because he revealed God. Here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is this, is that Jesus Christ not only came and blew apart religion from the world, not only did that, Jesus Christ came into the world and revealed, brought to the world, the very peace the human heart's looking for, the stability not just the emotional sense of like feeling good, the stability, the thing that gets rid of the anxiety. And he came and he brought not only that, but then he revealed his authority over this physical world and the spiritual world because he's God himself. If I were speaking to somebody, and I have said this to people, people say, oh, I met Christians, I don't like Christians, Christians are horrible people, that's why I don't believe in Jesus. I say, well, have you looked at Jesus? Look at him. He's the one who reveals God. Hopefully, the, what I reveal is faith. Not perfection, but faith. But he will reveal God to you. He will reveal peace to you. He will put these things in order for you. That's the good news of the gospel. He's done away with religion. He's revealed peace He's revealed the very nature of God. What's our third word? Our third word is redemption. Now we get into the, the parts of the gospel that we understand, that we think about when we think of gospel, that the message of salvation directly here. Look at verse 39. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, 
but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now Peter's saying, now we, and when he talks about the we, there's some of the apostles. And he's saying, we apostles are witnesses of everything Jesus did. We saw him heal people. We saw him cast out demons. We saw him do all of this stuff, he's saying. Not only that, we watched him die. And then, surprise, surprise, he showed up, risen from the dead, not as a ghost, but literally risen from the dead. And the way we know this is we had dinner with him. You don't eat with ghosts. We made him fish, and he ate it with us. Peter doesn't say this, but he did walk through a wall after that, so it's kind of weird. But, 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 I mean, the reality is we saw him. He rose. He's alive. Now, why is he pointing this out to him? He's pointing this out because he's recognizing something very, very profound, that this death and this resurrection are essential. It's essential. This is where the redemption message comes from. This is why we call it redemption. It's the idea of being purchased back. It's the idea that the wages of sin is death. It's not good works. The wages of sin isn't religion. The wages of sin isn't being better than other people. The wages of sin is not don't watch TV or don't listen to music. The wages of sin is death. Only one thing satisfies the demand of God when you sin. And God made it really clear. I don't care what the sin is. I don't care what the sin is. Every sin, same consequence. Death. There's the bad news. What is the good news? This one who came with the promise of peace, okay, he came into this world to say, I'm going to reconcile you to yourself. I'm going to reconcile you to others. I'm going to reconcile you to God. And I'm going to do that by dying and taking that death upon myself. We watched him die. And then we know God accepted it because we saw him alive. I mean, that's the essence of what he's saying. He died and he rose. And it was a legitimate resurrection, which becomes important because it shows that God actually infused life. And then when Jesus says, I'll give you life, we know what kind of life he's giving us. A powerful life. See, there's the redemption. Now, Peter is now going to explain this and apply this to them, but he's going to apply it a little bit backwards. Now, what do I mean by backwards? You ever heard people say this, that the Old Testament teaches judgment and the New Testament teaches love? How many of you heard that? Right? Ever hear that? Old Testament teaches judgment, right? Because all the killing and death in the Old Testament. And, the, and, and so that's the message of the Old Testament, is God is this angry God. And then the New Testament message is God is this loving God. Okay, so I want you to think about this as Peter is explaining the gospel to Cornelius, he missed something in his theology classes because he gets it all backwards. Notice what he says in verse 42. And he commanded us, the apostles, okay, i.e., writers of the New Testament, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, that Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Did you catch that? The apostolic message is that Jesus is the judge. There is your New Testament theology. Peter, you got it wrong. Right? Okay, verse 43. And to Jesus, to him, all the prophets, or you could say it this way, to Jesus, all the Old Testament writers bore witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. 
the Old Testament teaching salvation. Now here's what Peter's saying. Because he died and because he rose, the message, the apostolic message is this. He is the judge. He is the judge. There's no moving standard here. If you think about it, uh, if you have a salvation of works, that's a, that, that would be almost impossible to determine, wouldn't it? Have you ever thought about this? If we said that you had to be, your good works had to outweigh your bad works, what's the standard of bad and what's the standard of good? Like, where does that measurement come from? It's an impossible standard, works is. It's impossible. No one knows what the standard is. And you could never get there. It's so frustrating. This, he's saying this. Jesus will determine what is right and wrong. You'll be held to his standard. He's the judge. Now, the good news is that your judge walked in your shoes. He actually took on human flesh, walked in this world, was tempted like, Noah, like, like we were. He dealt with every issue we ever dealt with. He died. He overcome all of them. He rose from the dead. He endured it perfectly. There's our judge. But Peter is saying this, you're going to have to deal with Jesus. You're going to have to deal with him. He's the judge. But lest you freak out, don't forget what the Old Testament teaches. That the Messiah is the Savior. The Messiah is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That the judge, as we've said before here, can be your defense attorney. That on the day of judgment, he will defend you before himself, is what those two verses are saying, if your faith is in him. There is the good news, right? That the one who died to save is also the one who judges. So if you come to the one who died to save, then you do not have to be afraid on the day of judgment. Which means this, that whatever sin gets, you know, kind of called up and recalled at 2 o'clock in the morning in your life, Some of you have that happen. You wake up in the middle of the night and you start reviewing all these heinous things you did in your life and you're like, oh, I hate this. I hate these memories. I wish they would go away. You have to realize, wait a minute, those were condemned on the cross. If I'm in Christ, those were condemned on the cross, which means that Jesus said, I died for those. So on the day of judgment, I am not going to punish you because I took it. Because I'm the one that's doling it out. I'm either doling out grace or judgment. And if I bore your judgment then you get grace. You're free. You're redeemed. The judge can be your defense attorney. That is the good news of the gospel. So this is what he's saying. You don't redeem yourself. The judge can redeem you. So here are our words so far. Religion. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus blew up religion. Second, revelation. Jesus revealed peace. He revealed God. He revealed his authority over this creation. He revealed all of that. Third word, redemption. That he can be both the judge and the defense attorney of your life. Fourth one, relationship. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, those meaning Jews, would come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Now, you've got to realize, this is not just like some other Pentecostal moment, like it's a bunch of these Pentecostal moments that go on. A point is being made here. 
Peter, when he came down, he didn't just come by himself. He brought some Jews with him. The Jews would have never thought that God could bless a Gentile. They were always welcomed in, but they were welcomed in as kind of distant relatives. They didn't have a full seat at the table. So Peter's preaching this about Jesus, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God like falls upon these people, and they start doing the exact same thing that happened in Acts chapter 2. And the Jews go, oh my, they're just like us. That's what's happening. Now, what is the point being made there? The point being made there is that in Christ, everybody has the same seat at the table. You're brought into a relationship. And that relationship is not predicated. There you go. There's the word. (laughs) Lost that one for a minute there. It's not predicated upon your past, upon your heritage, upon the color of your skin, upon your ethnicity, upon any of that. God isn't categorizing anything. You're in Christ. All of those judgmental things, we look and say, oh, yeah, yeah, look at that person over there. Oh, my, look at, the, look at what they're doing in their body. Oh, look at this, look at that. No, in Christ, full seat at the table. You realize this. As much as we will honor Christ and in, in, in some ways be in awe of, of, of people, that, you know, like Peter or Paul or these, you know, the apostles or missionaries that have gone before us. Did you know, though, you have the exact same seat in heaven as Peter does? God shows no partiality. That is the good news. You're brought into a relationship with him. Isn't this stuff you want to share with people? You know, the whole world catalogs everything. Even if you make it to the NFL and sports, First string, starter, second string, third string, practice squad, right? There's all these delineations everywhere in the world. You leave our country, you go to other countries of the world, you know, you go where Ambria went, there's a caste system. You can't eat with those people over there. All kinds of divisions. In Christ, gone. The Spirit of God comes upon the Gentiles just as he came upon the Jews. The Jews went, oh my. They were doing what we're doing. We're speaking in tongues. Isaiah 28, 11 is a prophecy about this. The Jews were going to know that the Messiah comes when the Gentiles start speaking in strange tongues. That's being fulfilled right before him. Isaiah 28, 11, you can look that up. So notice what Peter says. In order to really reinforce this point, the end of 46, going into 47, it says, Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? See, those just as we have is the key. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So what's going on here? Peter says, there's no reason why we shouldn't baptize these people because you know, you placed your faith in Christ, they got you wet. That was the pattern. No delay. No delay. He's saying we can't delay this. This is what the Spirit of God has done. They have a seat at the table. They're just like us. They're brought into a relationship with God and with his body in which all distinctions are gone. They're all gone. You're welcomed in. Okay, so let's wrap this up. The gospel in four words. Christ, or religion, revelation, redemption, relationship. Those are our four words. What do they mean? Religion, Jesus has made a way for us to approach God directly. We're going through him. I'm not dipping myself in a river. What must I do to be saved? Trust 
Christ, he did it for you. There is the good news. Religion has been wiped out. Revelation, Jesus revealed the way of peace and the very nature of God. He revealed everything that you are looking for in this world, he has revealed. Redemption, Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead. But the good news is he's also the one who died for mankind. And if you trust in him, you can be saved. In relationship, Jesus is the one who gives all of us a seat at the table. We're brought into a family, into a body. We don't run away from it. We stay in it. This is the good news of the gospel. You know, just think about this as we wrap it up here. People right now are trying to reach God through religion. It might be a religion as simple as, I'm a good person. Or it could be a religion as complicated as, I need to do all of this stuff every day and every month and every year. People are trying to find peace through human means, through their own flesh, through their own ideas, through money, through the stuff that this world offers. People are trying to understand God. They're trying to understand who God is. They want to know who he is and, and does he really, is he really there? Does he exist? People are trying to please God in the flesh. People judge others and they withhold a space at the table because they're mad at them. People don't feel like they have a place in the world, in creation, in life. People carry a lot of guilt. That's true. We step out of here, we walk downtown Sycamore, everything that I just said, you will find. And we have good news. Right? Jesus died and blew up religion. Jesus revealed the peace you're looking for. Jesus shows us who God is and his authority over the spiritual and physical world. Jesus redeems us from the consequences of our sins. And Jesus gives you a seat at his table now and in the kingdom to come. That is good news. So, we should rejoice in that, celebrate it. We should understand it. We should talk about it. Would you bow your head with me? Let's pray here. God, there are people in this room who need at least one of the things that we talked about here today. There are people who are caught up in religious practices, good works. They're trying to understand the world through the lens of their good works. They need to be set free from their religion. There are people torn up on the inside, God. They need peace. They need to know that you have authority over this world. The world is not spinning out of control. But you have authority over the physical and the spiritual world. All of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and could not bear under the righteous judgment of Jesus. But thank you that he died, redeemed us that he's willing to defend us before himself on the day of judgment. And all of us need to realize that our seat at the table is not predicated on our looks, on our actions, on our past, on the performance of our family or the performance of our work, or how much money we make, or whatever ways that we create seats at the table for people. But it's predicated on 
you, being in you, all are welcome in Christ. That is such good news. Lord, I pray for people that they would see Jesus this morning, that they would be anchored in him, that they would recognize we need him every hour. But Lord, I pray also that we would be emboldened to share this wonderful, glorious message with the world. Emboldened to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ. He's blown away religion. He's blown it away. He's revealed peace. He's revealed authority. He's redeemed. He's brought us into a relationship with himself and with others, God. Let us anchor our minds on that. In Christ's name.